Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on another bright day in a rather deserted city of Westminster in these current times, as once again we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on the topic of leadership. I am Scott Challoner and I'm joined on today's programme by Sally Parsons from Renaissance Hair, a unisex hairdresser in Haslington, Cheshire. Sally, welcome to the programme and it's great to have you on the air with us today. Hello, hi. Hi Sally, thank you ever so much again for taking the time to come onto the air and join us um, for the benefit of the uh, the listeners tuning into this. Um, the purpose of this discussion, as I say there, is to really understand your take on leadership and I think it's fair to say, isn't it, that leadership is something that's really been put to the test at the moment with the current COVID-19 situation no less and different business leaders having to really feel their way through this crisis in its uncharted territory. Tell me Sally, for somebody working within the services industry like yourself, how has it been from a leadership leadership point of view trying to get through these last few weeks because I can imagine it's posed an incredible challenge in that respect. Um, it has from having to close the business and also from a staff um, perspective. Um, my first concern was obviously for my staff um, to make sure they were all okay and they fully understood the implications um, and also to contact as many clients as I could to um reassure them because obviously everybody's hair is a, is a paramount important um some more than others um and just to say you know I, in the background i would be looking at impl- things to implement and put into place so that when we can come to reopen we you know it would be a safe environment for my staff and also all all of my clients so I've, I've had to do a lot of groundwork in the background looking into all these um these things that i may need to implement absolutely and clarity from that perspective when it comes to the new safety measures is going to be hugely important and the clarity of guidance coming from the government level has come under fierce debate during this um, whole situation um, as well um, from your point of view working within a business that is directly affected um, have you found that that clarity has been there and it's been easily digestible or do you think that there are improvements to be made in that regard um, I would say there are some improvements to be made um Obviously, you know, the first thing that we heard was we would have to close. We actually made the decision to close just before the government um, actually asked us to close. Um, But there isn't any clarity at the moment of what is required. I'm on various hairdressing forums um, and I've been listening to various podcasts and various hairdressing bodies to what we all assume will be required but there isn't anything in concrete yet from the government and and I understand that this is a very testing time um, for all businesses um, concerned so we you know there is some basics that we 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 assume we will need but that there isn't enough clarity at the moment as to what we would what we would need and I can imagine it's come with an awful amount of pressure handling this situation as well, because you mentioned the importance of keeping staff informed throughout all of this and keeping the communication channels open all the time, never mind in a time of crisis, is important from a leadership perspective, as we well know. But providing that much needed reassurance to people who are looking at you for answers when realistically you may not know too much more than those around you that comes with its own type of pressure doesn't it and that's something very difficult that leaders have had to shoulder the responsibility for in the business world um, of late hasn't it 
yes, it, it is a, it is a responsibility. Um, because obviously I don't have all the answers and, and, and I'm looking to other people who also don't have all the answers. Um, but, you know, that to add, my main thing is I want to reassure the staff that, you know, we will be working in a, in a different way. We, we've spoken, I've spoken to all the staff and it could be, if we will be going back, but we will be working in a different way. We, we probably won't have to be able to uh, have the capacity that had in the salon before but um just i just wanted to reassure them that um you know that we are we will be there as together as a team again but it it is a difficult time and it's a difficult time to reassure people when you you're also unsure yourself it certainly is exactly and um if we think about sort of how this period has really brought us together um in a way um and sort of helped kind of bring together that sense of national unity um as well do you think that despite how terrible this time has been sally that there are some positives from a business perspective to take from this in that you've now overseen management of a crisis and that will help with resilience and confidence building for the future um because it is a beneficial experience and a real new learning curve this in one way of seeing it isn't it Yes, definitely. There, there will be some good things that come out of this. Um, there'll be different practices that we all follow. I mean, hairdressing fellows, by and large, are generally very hygienic places, but we'll, we'll all be even more um, hygienic with, with regards to sanitising tools. We've, we've also, we'll have a greater understanding with our clients. The clients that I've been in touch with, I've been on quite a personal level with some of them, and it's it's we've, we've sort of developed almost developed a different um, client relationship. I particularly um, contacted the clients first and knew that we're living alone, just so that they've got, got somebody to speak to. Because I know sometimes when they visit the salon, that is, um, it's a social event as much as having the hairs. And so we, you know, we will be working in a different way. But I think there are positives, and I think people generally, by and large, have pulled pulled together. Um, to get through this um, this current um, crisis. I think that's absolutely right, um, Sally, and it'll be interesting to see how that really, really takes shape in terms of um, the adaptability, particularly within your industry and how things um, do develop over the uh, the coming uh, weeks and months for sure. Um, so we talked about leadership, which has gone into managing this current situation. But if we think about that word leader, just in isolation, Sally, what does that word actually mean to you and how does it resonate? What really is a leader in your view? Um, somebody that can show the way forward to me as a leader and um, somebody that others look to um, for reassurance and guidance. Um, basically, that, that's how I look upon a leader. And that reassurance side of things and that guidance side of things, very, very important, of course, in the current time, as we've discussed already. And it seems as uh, as though from the response that you've put into this current situation that you do try to play that role of essentially someone who's there for people to speak to. You're there to guide people and you're also there to just try and give them that much needed reassurance as well, almost acting as a little bit of a parental kind of figure in a way, I guess. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I've got, you know, a few um, members of staff that are, are relatively young. Um, I've got an apprentice who visited her first job. So it's, it's you know, it's a very testing time for them. You know, it's it's unprecedented. 
so you know you you want to nurture them and, and guide them through this and and show them that we can all be resilient and there are new ways that we will be able to work to and um, and we will just find our new normal and, and the best practice that we can do to to move on um, in the future and uh, carry on, you know, with with our good business. And if you were to actually speak to somebody who was maybe about to start their first day in a leadership role, particularly from the younger generations, I'm thinking here, Sally, what sort of advice would you perhaps give them just to maybe give them some of that reassurance and advice that everything will turn out okay? Um, I mean, when I first started in my role, I, I, I always wanted to have a place of work where people felt safe and people felt like they wanted to come to work. And, and also that I've always found that I've, I've always tried to make myself approachable. So if anybody does have any anything they'd like to discuss with me, I always make myself available Um and, and team meetings and keeping staff informed and just generally being honest and, and keeping all your staff informed and, and involved in, in all the decisions you make. Don't, you know, not making decisions without um, discussing things with, with all your members of your team because at the end of the day, particularly in the hairdressing salon, and, and mine isn't a huge business, it's, we're a very close team, so, you, you know, you're working very closely on a day-to-day basis. It's having the transparency um, that, that you are you're honest and you're fair. I think that's where when how I how I lead my team. And I think it also shows a great deal of humility that approach them as well. Um, understanding that you're on very much a level with those people around you, and that they can approach you when they do have concerns um, such as that, because. We often see um, a little bit too often that leadership seems to be cut off uh, from uh, those around them and it can sometimes seem a little bit accessible, almost a little bit too, oh, I can't really approach the person at the top of it all. But when you can do that, I think it does really help take people with you and that's a really important element in running a business from a leadership point of view, isn't it? Having people know that you're there for them, understand that, buy into the vision. And I think people like yourself who've really tried to instill um, that mentality on people around them and take that approach they'll be the ones reaping most of the benefits at this point in time because it is their teams who will be willing to go above and beyond to keep things ticking over in this time of adversity yes absolutely i mean i've I've found my team have been um amazing in the run-up and with this um the crisis because probably for the last month it it was difficult in work um, we had various clients cancelled. People were worried, so I I had to um, try and keep the staff calm, and also in turn keep the clients calm and assure them. So we we put in a lot of processes before we actually close for the sanitising of stations, and we um, and also on social media to tell people what we were doing. And um, but it also made the staff feel better and safer in that environment. And was their response inspiring? Um, did they really take to that well, do you think? Um, yes, yes. I, I have to say, um, particularly the younger staff, um, you know, this is you know, this is their first sort of um in in a new career, their first steps in a new career. So um to pull together like they did um was was amazing. Um, yeah, it was. It was. It was really good, and, and it just showed what a, what a strong team 
um, we have, and um, there's myself and um, another member of staff who are, who are a little bit older, and um, and fam- they, the other member of staff, and we've, we've nurtured the younger ones, and they've, they've been brilliant. It's, 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 has, it's been inspiring to see how they've um, taken all this on board. Mm, of course, you can take inspiration from many different places, um, not um, the least um, from those around you, and especially in the way that they respond to times of difficulty such as this. But if we think about other inspirations um, in your career briefly, uh, Sally, before we wrap things up on the, uh, the programme today, um, do give me an idea of anybody who you've maybe encountered throughout your career or anybody that you've looked up to maybe in the public eye who's perhaps had an influence um, on you in your own uh, style of leadership. Um, I mean, I, I follow the greats of hairdressing, the needle pursuits of, of this world, and um, I've, I've, you know, I've, I've followed their courses and, and such like over my hairdressing career. So, you know, they they are the people that I look up to in the hairdressing world. Um, and generally, I can't really put a name on anybody who are great to look up to, but people, I generally look up to people who I find are, are honest. And transparent. Um, I, I think honesty is, is a, you know, one of the main traits of people that I, I do look up to, and are people who are, you know, who are for the people, really. Mm, can certainly see where you're coming from from that point of view, Sally. And if we think about the future now. Before, of course, um, we do um, end things um, on today's programme, do you give me an idea of what you envision the next 12 months holding for yourself and for Renaissance Hair as, you, as we move through this uh, pandemic, but also what you see for beyond then once we do get through to the other side of this situation? I think when, when we get back to um, back to work, it will be a new way of working and I'm, I'm sure it will take a, a little while to get used to this, but I'm sure once we settle in, we, we will find our new way and a new rhythm in a new way. Hairdressers are very adaptable people, I've always found. Um, I, I will be celebrating 25 years in business during this time um, in the next two weeks. Um, that's not how I envisioned to be spending a, um, my 25th year of trading. Mm. But building on that and going on from that in the next 12 months, I hope that I keep my good, strong business that I've had for 25 years and we move on and we build on, on these steps that we will have made to get back um, into work and then we we, um, we build on that and we look after our good client base that we, we have um, of very loyal clients and, and we look after them and um, carry on enjoying what we're doing and also uh, producing the best work we can um, and build on a, on a strong future for that. Mm. It's a real shame, as you say there, that the 25th year of the business has to be overshadowed by this situation. But I think it's um, worthy of a huge congratulations, uh, nonetheless, uh, Sally. And um, let's hope as well that when we enter the 26th year of the business and we start to see how things are really changing as we are hopefully emerging from this situation, I think it would actually be fantastic, uh, given how informative it's been having you on the programme today, to perhaps catch up and have you uh, back on the programme just to see how working practices have changed. And we can also discuss how how the year the business is getting on at that point as well. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. 
I'd really enjoy that, uh, Sally. Um, today's been um, absolutely fantastic, um, of course. Um, thank you ever so much again for taking the time to come on to the, uh, the programme. It's been a real, real pleasure, but also a very insightful experience, as I said there. And I think it will prove a real benefit, not just, of course, to um, myself and yourself in getting these views out there, but also for those listeners tuning in as well. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Thanks very much, Thank Sally. Do take, to speak to you today. Likewise. Thank you. Do take care and do Bye-bye. stay safe as Bye. well. Bye-bye. Coming up next on the programme today, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with Liz Field, the Chief Executive of the Personal Investment Management and Financial Advice Association. I hope you enjoy listening to the interview just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking with Liz. And that's coming up next. I'm Jonathan White, and we're joined today by Liz Field, CEO of PIMFA, Personal Investment Management and Financial Advice Association. What a great mouthful. Liz, thank you very much for coming on today. No, thank you for inviting me. No, not a problem. A complete pleasure. And I think uh, it would be a great place to start, if we may. There's maybe a little bit of background uh, for the listeners. Obviously, PIMFA does work in uh, uh, across the board these days, but of course it was only founded uh, uh, three years ago when, of course, um, MAPFA and uh, the WMA were merged. That's right, yes. Um, I think it really was a, a reflection of of where the industry was going in terms of uh, the provision of financial advice and helping individuals with their um, personal financial futures that we felt that it was necessary for the two bodies to merge together. Um, but both, had, well, certainly the Wealth Management Association and its predecessors have been around for nine, well, nearly 30 years yes. now, actually. But you're quite right. Um, as PIMFA, it's, it's been nearly three years now. And the uh, probably a very wise move because uh, the, the uh, uh, PIMFA has been going from strength to strength uh, since. Uh, what would you say at the moment uh, is are, are, are the priorities uh, for yourselves there? Um, I think there are a number of priorities. I mean, we represent a diverse group of um, of businesses, which all have one thing in common, which is that they face the clients, they they face the consumer. Um, so whether that is face to face or whether that is um, online. Uh, it's all about helping individuals to plan and save and invest um, for themselves and for their families. Uh, but we're going through uh, a number of, of key challenges. I mean, um, looking at a, 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 a macro level, if you like, um, markets are a little turbulent. Um, it's it's very challenging um, to um, kind of navigate the the uh, investment management world so uh, even more reason why you need a financial advisor and uh, and an investment management firm to help you um, because it is quite a complex arena and that's not helped by the lack of financial education uh, more generally so um, if you have that as a backdrop uh, and then politically you have what's going on um, with post brexit uh, and where the rules are going to come from in future, all of that is still to be negotiated. Um, so it, it's a whole melting pot of issues that uh, that our firms are trying to face. Oh, without a doubt. I think uh, maybe Lizzie, there's quite a few understatements there in terms of the challenges that are yes. uh, occurring <laughs> at the moment. But there's quite a lot to pick up 
on the on those points because uh, I th- I think it's 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 a it's a unique time almost, isn't it, where there are a different set of challenges that advisors and individuals are uh, being confronted with from a lot of different angles. Um, and perhaps if we can start, let's start at the beginning. In fact, you bring up the issue of financial education. Yeah. Now that's something I think uh, you can talk to anybody in the business, and they'd agree with you on that front. Liz, we don't do it properly in this country. Where no. do you think, Liz, it should start from, and how do we fix it? Okay, so I think I mean the first thing to say is that there's a lot of fantastic effort that we see across the whole of the financial services sector, uh, our sector um, amongst that, where they they try and go into schools um, and provide financial education. You go onto any website um, of some of our members and they've got some great educational material. Um, but there isn't a national framework that 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 wraps itself around the whole of the financial education efforts within our industry. And without that, um, I think they're, they're the the businesses are facing a lot of um, barriers when it comes to actually getting into schools. Um, I mean, financial education is part of the, um, per, I think it's personal health and social education um, a piece of the curriculum, but there isn't an exam um, that's at the end of it. So when it comes to schools and, and how they're being judged, it's on metrics such as um, exams and without an exam for financial education, um, I think uh, it's go- it's just it's just going to keep coming up against the same barriers. Mm. Um, and financial education is not the same as maths. So uh, what we'd also quite like to see is is that we have more um, kind of money type questions within the maths curriculum, because that will also then bring it to life uh, for young people, for uh, youngsters and you know school kids. It will bring it to life because it's about things that they have to deal with or, you know, that they they deal with on a day-to-day basis, which is money. So the more that we have that is populated in the curriculum that is about money, um, the better, I think, because that then we'll start to promote a culture of, of savings and investments, which we so badly need in our in 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 our yes. um, in our country. Without a doubt, Liz, because and again, you've hit the nail on the head. Because there's only so much that can be done without the involvement of the curriculum in schools. Yeah, uh, and you know, you can, as you've pointed out very well, uh, it, companies can try all they all they might, but it, it's difficult if it's not a, a joint effort. Uh, yeah. And I think as, um, uh, for example, uh, with, with the new government we have, there have already been positive noises at the very least. Whether they become actions is another <laughs> thing entirely regarding what you could consider a, for, a, a far more applied mathematics in, in a lot of uh, uh, the system. But ty- time will tell. And that's something I think we could probably dedicate in the next hour to. Elizabeth. Yes, I think you're right. <laughs> we probably shouldn't. Um now, looking at a couple of the points to pick up that you've already raised here, Liz, uh, and it goes back to the word you've already said, which is uncertainty. Uh, it, it seemed as if the markets, investors, people, we've been in a state of limbo for the last three and a half years. Uh, we're talking, of course, three months after, two months after uh, a general election that resulted in a 
a large majority with the Conservative Party, and therefore at least we have now uh, uh, left the European Union without without dragging you down the political rabbit hole here. At least, is there a hope now that because of that clarity, we may start to see a far more s- far more certainty in the market? And what are your hopes for the next twelve months? Um, I think. I think that we've still got a little way to go because um, whilst, you know, 31st of January came and went, um, you know, we're now we're now in a negotiation period. We're now in a transition period. Um, and for for UK um, savers and uh, and investors, uh, in terms of where the rules are made, there's still there's still not some clarity about that. Um, you know, we're we're still uh, well, we don't know yet whether we're still tied um, or will be tied to the um, European rulemaking um, down the line. That's still to be negotiated. I mean, we've always said that actually for for savers and investors, we need stability in the markets and we need access to funds. Um, however, it, you know. The, the majority of our of our firms look after UK savers, um, and therefore, a one of the positives we see is the ability to have a a rule book that makes sense for UK savers and investors and UK firms. Um, so there's an uh, we think that there's an opportunity there with definitely without um, watering down regulation. So we're definitely not talking about less regulation. Mm-hmm. What we're talking about is smarter mm-hmm. regulation, which makes sense for firms and makes sense for clients. Um, and as we've got a very unique industry in terms of savings and investments um, um, in, Euro- in Europe, England, or U- the UK rather, and and Ireland are unique amongst our European counterparties. So when you have a European rule book or a rule book that is set in Europe that doesn't bear any relation to the model of in- intermediation that we have here, that has caused us problems in the past, and we're hoping that we we will be able to affect that in the future with a local regulator and a local rule and a local rulemaker. But we will see. That is still all part of the of the melting pot. So whilst I'd like to be posit- positive and, and optimistic about the market, <laughs> um, we've still got this period um, of uh, of negotiation, and uh, until we see where we go to with that. Uh, and of course, you've got financial services and fisheries amongst yeah, the same two, piece, you know. Famous <laughs> fellows, aren't they? Indeed, um, absolutely, absolutely. So we've still got to wait and see, I think. Absolutely. Um, and it will be an uh, interesting year, if nothing else. Um, yeah. uh, now, you, you, you mentioned there, at least uh, the role of, uh, of course, regulators. I know uh, in the last month or so, obviously, uh, uh, PIMFA has. Uh, given its fair amount of critique to um, the FCA, um, are they at the moment doing their job correctly? Um, I think part I th- I don't envy the regulator one iota. Um, uh, I think if you look at the the number of people that they have in the supervisory team and the number of firms that they have to regulate. Um, it, it, it is not an enviable job um, by any stretch of the imagination. Yes, we have been critical, not least of all because we are expecting 
um, better supervision to prevent firms from failing and certainly to prevent firms from failing in the spectacular way that they have uh, in the last few years, which has impacted on the size of the financial services compensation scheme levy. And this levy is paid for by by firms within the industry. And our firms are a majority of small to medium-sized firms, and their bills have gone up exponentially. Our criticism is that, you know, we we don't object to having an FSCS levy um, or, you know, the lifeboat yes. funds to pay, you know, recompense to to consumers. Uh, and, and our view is, has always been that the polluter pays, but the polluters have, have long since folded by the time mm. it comes to any payment, which means that good firms are paying for bad firms. So the system, we believe, is broken. Um, and, and I think that is about the regulatory perimeter. Um, you know, what is it that the, that the lifeboat fund should be protecting? The perimeter is too big. So that, you know, what is the nature of risk? That all needs to be um, uh, redefined, we believe, and recalibrated, which then enables you to determine well, if that's what risk is, then how do we protect it and how do we levy for it? Mm. Um, and that is all linked to better supervision. So that is something we have been critical about. Um, we're in the process of finalizing a paper uh, which we um, which we have positioned in a constructive manner, which is these are some of the things that we believe FCA, you should be looking at in your supervisory process, and we want to help you to do your job better. Now, I I know there's no such thing as a a magic wand, Liz, and perhaps it'll be putting you on the spot. <laughs> but if let's imagine, let's let's imagine you did have one just for the just for this afternoon, perhaps, and you were able to change one thing about that uh, system. And perhaps I shouldn't ask this because if your report isn't out yet, you might not want to reveal something that's in it. Um, but if you could. <laughs> Um, what would be your number one priority? If we, if we were to, if I, were, my number one priority to to solve the system in terms of reform. In terms of reform, mm. what regulatory yeah, reform yes. you mean? Um, I think. Oh goodness me, the one thing. Um, it is a bit of a mean I, question. Uh, it <laughs> is. Gosh, yes. Wow. Um, I, I think it's about the regulatory perimeter. Sure. Um, I, I think let's have a look at the regulatory perimeter. Um, which is, you know, gives some certainty to to clients about what is protected and what is not protected, which also then gives some assurity both to them and also to the advisors who have to advise those clients on what what's the pathway to success for them and what and and I think if there's some clarity around all of that, then everybody will be will be better off. Great. Now, I'm conscious of the time here, Liz. It's already catching up with us. So perhaps if we can take a, a little step back and uh, and look at, um, at the operations of PIMFR again, it's what PIMFR do, does so well is its ability to build relationships with so many uh, different uh, organisations. Can that really, Liz, be underestimated, the importance of having those working relationships with with the departments and the organizations that you do have no i don't i, I think it's absolutely fundamental um to any business actually mm. but it's certainly something that that 
we have in the middle of the stick of rock that is PIMFA. Uh, I mean, we talk about the, you know, the values that we have as an organization. We, we are a small organization uh, and we can't do our job unless we work in partnership and collaboration with others. So relationship building um, and maintaining and creating a good foundation of relationships is absolutely fundamental to what we do. Without a doubt. And I think that's the key point, Liz, isn't it, that that's so applicable to any realm, whether it's business or, or politics or uh, any areas of life. And I think and because of the time here, we, we, I, I must start to wrap up. But um, perhaps I can ask, Liz, looking forward, and I know the next 12 months is full of uncertainty, what are uh, the plans PIMFA has for it nonetheless? Um, so I think our well, our key priority this this next twelve months is 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 to be talking um, much more, um, and we 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 have been lobbying um, a fair bit on this. But because of Brexit, um, our ability to actually kind of get into um, see the policymakers on both sides, I think, to have that dialogue has been a challenge. Um, but we're finding that that is changing, that you know, they, they want to hear from us. So I think our priority is around that regulatory perimeter um, and what does what does regulation look like for, uh, for us moving forward. But at the same time, it's not just about the future of regulation, but it's also about the future of supervision because the two of those go hand in hand. Um, so those those two um, are kind of what are, are the main the main areas over the course of this next year. Having said that, um, you know we have a manifesto that's got six that's got six pillars in it, um, and regulation and supervision and the future of that is is just. Um, is just one of those things. There are a whole host of another of other things promoting the sector as a as a force for good and as an integral part of a of an individual's kit bag um, for financial and mental well being uh, is is another key strand of, of activity. So I think future of regulation, future of supervision, and then promoting the sector as an integral part of uh, of um, everybody's kit bag in building their personal financial futures. Well, Liz, there might never be uh, a more important year, uh, or has not been in a while, that will determine the future of all of those things, and perhaps never a year where so many people pay attention to what happens to Britain's fish stocks. Um, but it's been <laughs> Liz, an absolute pleasure discussing that uh, leadership with you today. Uh, I hope very much we can sit down perhaps later this year uh, when there's a bit more clarity perhaps and talk through a few more things. Thank you. I would love to do that. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.